Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Welcome back. I am so excited to talk to Alex today. She has such an amazing, unique story. She's a stay-at-home mom with three wonderful little boys. We were just chatting about because I, we can commiserate together on the, the unique experience of that. Her path to parenthood, as I mentioned, is unique and not linear at all. She experienced IVF, surrogacy, re- recurrent pregnancy loss, and much more. She shares her experiences openly every day through our beautiful surprise on Instagram. So if you don't already follow her, please go check her out. She has an amazing feed there. And she feels passionately about helping others and showing up in this community to help people that are going through it. She has a book to help other people support them in meaningful ways. And she just created a grant for those going through surrogacy. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be on here with you. Yes. So we want to talk about this grant first of all tell us a little bit about that that's amazing yes so this is very like more in the early stages i'm still in the fundraising stages of it i know that um a lot of people have been asking me how they can apply to the grant and i promise once it's available available i will definitely be making that very clear um so right now i'm in the fundraising portion of it and so basically It's a grant that's under the umbrella of another nonprofit. The other nonprofit is Defiantly Hopeful, which is familiar to people in the infertility world. It's a fertility grant. So I am under their umbrella. So it's also has the nonprofit status. It has the status of the people can get the tax deductible. So that's kind of how I wanted to start it. And then basically it's a grant for intended parents going through surrogacy. So I had my second son via surrogacy and we would not have been able to have him without the generosity of our family and friends and just kind of people coming together to help us afford it. And surrogacy is extremely expensive. So because we were able to get the help we needed, I wanted to then give back because I know a lot of people that want to pursue it, but they cannot afford to do it. So I'm hoping that this can help people build their families. Amazing. I know. I I feel like surrogacy is becoming more common and or the conversation around it is becoming more common. However, people then put on the brakes when they realize, oh my God, I don't have a hundred grand plus to do (laughs) surrogacy. So when you guys were going through it and we will go through your story, but did you know going into it, the price range of having a surrogate initially, or were you like completely blindsided by it? So we were first when we were told to consider surrogacy, that came as a shock in general. I think nobody expects to go that path necessarily. But then when we started looking into the agencies and the costs, we did know what we were going into once we decided to do surrogacy, but we took about six months to look at everything, look at our options because our doctor had said, you know, the cheapest, that is not really the right word, but the least expensive way to do it and the least complicated way to do it is when a family or friend 
carries your child for you mm-hmm. because you're not dealing with matching with someone you don't know or paying the agency fees or everything. However, that just wasn't a possibility for us. And so we knew we had to go with an agency. We live in California, so we knew that it was legal. So that actually adds more fees, but not in a bad way necessarily. But we did have a very clear understanding of everything. But with that, we were able to prepare for it in advance as we got closer to it. And we also knew that everything wasn't due right away, if that makes sense. Yeah. But we kind of had a figure in mind of what we needed to get started. And so with the grant, I would like to offer, it depends on how much the fund, how the fundraising goes, but I would really prefer to offer someone a grant that they could get started right away. I don't want it to be just a portion of what they need to get started, if that makes sense. Yeah. So So what is kind of the get started? And I'm sure it depends on where you live, what you're doing and all of that sort of stuff, but a range, I guess. What would that look like? Yeah. I mean, I would say a range to get started is $50,000 to $75,000, which sounds crazy, but I think that it is realistic for surrogacy to cost seventy-five dollars to $100,000 or more. It really depends on how you're doing it, where you live, if it's someone that can get paid, certain countries and states you cannot reimburse, you can't pay a surrogate. It depends. The agency fees can be really high. Lawyer fees are high. So there's just like this huge range of what it can be. Yeah. But especially for someone working through an agency, because many people do not know somebody that can just carry their child for them. And as much as I wish agency fees were less expensive, the reason why some of them are is because they're vetting people so that you're not being scammed. And as horrible as that sounds, that happens to people. So I think that that's kind of the goal is to have the grant be 50 to $75,000 so that it can be a good starting place for people who actually want to pursue surrogacy. And when the time comes to actually offer the grant, the I will be working with the company I'm working with Defiantly Hopeful and their board to kind of help figure out who gets it. So that's amazing. So at create, I talk about creating every day that we need to create something in order to, if you're trying to create a baby or you're trying to create a business or write a book or create a grant or whatever. So what was the innovation and the idea about, I think I'm going to create a grant. Like if somebody's thinking, I have this idea and I don't want people to go through what I went through. Some people would be like, well, I'm just going to start a GoFundMe page. What was it in you that was like, no, I think we could do this in a bigger way and actually partner with this company to do that. How did that kind yeah. of come about to create? I mean, I think a lot of us who go through infertility, you almost need there to be a reason why it happened. If that may, I, I wanted there to be something good that came out of what happened to me, obviously my children, <laughs> but I also wanted to be able to give back. I feel like I've learned so much about empathy and different things throughout my infertility journey. And the way that I can give back in a really, not just meaningful way, but a tangible way for me is to help somebody that otherwise won't be able to have their child, at least in that way. And I think that everybody deserves options to have the child that they want to have in the way that works for them. And I know a lot of people tell people going through surrogacy, oh, you should just adopt or, oh, you should just do this. And none of that is easy either. 
And so I think if surrogacy is the right path for someone, I want that to be an option for them. And so that's kind of what led me to it. And then also in, instead of doing a GoFundMe page or something, I feel like a lot of times people want the option of donating to something that then they know will go to someone that really needs it and really deserves it. And I'm not saying that just creating a GoFundMe page wouldn't have that same effect, but I feel like working with an actual nonprofit and having them help vet people and having them help look at all the applications makes me feel like we're really helping the best we can instead of just blindly choosing where to go with it. If that, you know, yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's such a beautiful way of going about it all there for people who are listening that may not know there are lots of grants that are available and loans now for fertility and surrogacy and all the things which we do need more of because the need is so great for fertility or infertility however you like to look at it is not going away and i agree with you alex that's part of why it was that aha moment during my first loss that made me realize okay i need to turn my tenure life coaching business into fertility because nobody prepares you for this. Nobody teaches you how to deal with this. What do I do next? The clinics are amazing, but when you walk out the door of the clinic, it's not like you can call them crying or whatever. I'm, you know, so the, the need for that help and support so that you don't feel so alone, because the reality is you are not. So many people are going through the same thing you're going through, maybe in a slightly different way here or there, things are tweaked, but you feel like you're so alone when you're in it. And it is such a strange situation that people don't, you're not prepared for this. You never think when you're a little girl, oh, I'm gonna (laughs) go through this path. You know, it never, I mean, most people never crosses their mind. I think we're getting to a point where this generation coming up now will have that as an option because they they are born of parents of alternative ways, right? But most, especially for my generation, that was not a thing, you know, it, it, well, people didn't even talk about miscarriage for that matter, let alone no. like if somebody was, in fact, IVF wasn't even happening when I was born yet. So well, and it's, still, it's still an issue now where, I mean, I'll talk to people like my sister who they're not, you know, she's married, they're not quite ready to have children yet, but she has even asked, you know, her doctor to try to look into things for her in advance so that she's not blindsided. And the doctor's like, oh, you're young. Don't worry about it. And it's oh, just, that makes so, me she's crazy. like, but I'm trying to, she, and she's like, but look at what happened to my sister right. and you still won't help me. And yeah. so it's like, I feel like even people who know the questions to ask are still not even always getting that help. And so yes, there are so many grants for when people do want the help. I think for me also, why I wanted to create a grant specifically for intended parents is that from my experience of looking at grants, even the one that I'm under the umbrella of, they do a $20,000 grant, which is incredible, but that's not enough for people going through surrogacy. So when people try to apply that are going through surrogacy, they don't qualify because the money wouldn't even be enough for them right. to do their journey. To start and so, it. right, like they still wouldn't have enough money and that's mm-hmm. insane, but that's where I want to create something so that people do have the option. And when they're applying, they do qualify. And because the need is there for a lot of people. Absolutely. And so let's transition to your book. Tell us a little bit about that. And also, mind you, how do you have time to do all these things? Posting the book, (laughs) creating a grant with your three little guys? 
Well, so the book was something I actually published in, it was a self-published book. Um, and I came out with it in 2020. So it was kind of, I call it like my COVID project. <laughs> um, but it was something where, so I wrote it when I, we were finally, I started to write it before, but I started to write it when we were going through kind of the depths of infertility. And I felt like so many people wanted to help, but they didn't really know how to, if that makes sense. And so I felt like I looked into so many things of like what was available for different. So I'm trying to figure out how to say this the right way. There's a lot of books out there on infertility. There's a lot of books that can help fertility related things. But I think one of the things that people have the most difficulty with is how to support people. So my book is how to help friends and family through infertility, because I think a lot of us struggle with the fact that we don't know how to help other people when they're going through it. And so I wanted to help people with that. So I wrote it in 2020 and I published it at the end of 2020 as just kind of a way to help people. Um, and I hope that it continues to help people who want to, to want to support other people going through it. That's amazing. And so again, creating a book for somebody who has this in their head and is like, how do I get, how do I actually start where you just, okay, one day during COVID, I'm just going to start typing away and yeah. see what comes up and here we yeah. are. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably started a little before that, but once that hit, um, at that point, my oldest son was still taking like one nap a day and I didn't have the other two yet. And like at night or other, you know, times. And so I just kind of, I think for me, I started with an outline of all the different topics that I would want to cover in it and all the things that I really thought people should know about support and how to support people. The biggest chapter that took me the longest was the research chapter, just because I wanted to, there's a chapter called do your research at the end. And it encourages people to look into the different things that people are going through with infertility without actually having to ask them. Because I think sometimes people will mention offhand to family members, oh, we're starting, you know, with a donation process, but then they don't really want to go into the details of it, or we're starting with IVF and maybe they don't want to talk about all the details of what IVF is. And so in that chapter, it goes into more dense details. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so I pretty much, I pretty much just wrote an outline and then kind of just started doing it one day at a time. I found someone to edit it and look at it for me. I did self-publish it. Um, I think in the future, if I ever wrote another book, I would probably prefer to go the regular publisher route. Um, I think it's harder. Both have pros and cons. That, yeah. But the self-publishing route is much harder to get the book out there. If that right. Means. Yeah, so, but it's out um, there, right? But it is, so, it's out there. That's but, yeah. amazing. And thank you for sharing that. I, I just want people, again, who are listening to realize you don't have to have some big, huge situation in order to make it happen. You made it no. happen on your own, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it was just me. And then I hired an, a one-time editor to look over things. But yeah. You Resourceful, right? I feel you like. Can, yeah. I think anyone... I mean, I think if someone wants to write a book, they should just go for it. 
Yeah, I I joke all the time that I have two books in my head since 2017, yeah. and I have yet to be doing that. And people will yeah. remind me, well, you've been a little busy. But now it's like yeah. at some point, you, the, that excuse doesn't last anymore. So I maybe 2023 will be my yeah. year and you will inspire me to just do it. So I think even <laughs> if you just start writing out like ideas of what you want the chapters to be and just kind of filling in like an outline of what you want to say in the chapter, yeah, that kind of stuff helps a lot because then when you, I know for me, sometimes I just feel like, oh, all of a sudden I have all these ideas. So then I need to write them down right there. Cause I feel like I'm never going to remember them again. So yeah, I think just even getting it down on paper, writing it down on your computer, anything is helpful. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about again, creation and what you do every day. You create this amazing Instagram account with so much content, so many, your life, things to help other people. How do you, one, as I mentioned before, find the time and two, just that inspiration to create every day. Again, going back to, I believe that we are all creating in ways all the time. And that's why I choose to say fertility versus infertility, because we are able yeah. to create and it may not seem that it's the way that we intend it to be, but the more we bring in creation, whether that's through moving our body or creating a recipe or an Instagram account, or I have some clients that are like, I just created a spreadsheet. I'm like, awesome. Yeah. At yeah. least you were having that intention that you were creating in the world today. So yes. tell us a little bit about that and how that's kind of evolved into what it is today. Yeah. So I started it um, probably about three years ago because I just selfishly needed other people to talk to that were going yeah. through the same thing, which I think is what all of us do in this mm -hmm. space. And I started it as an anonymous account. And I just, again, was reaching out. I was following different people that I felt like could understand me both. And I think I started out following bigger accounts that I thought could understand me. And then also just really individual people that I could talk with. Sure. And over time, it just grew into more than I expected it to, but I'm very grateful that it did. And I think that it's just become something where I still have made really close individual friends but I also love being able to meet new people every day and interact with new people every day. And I think that I talk with people that are in such a huge range of their journey, people who are just starting out with their fertility journey, and also people who have had their kids for a decade or more. And I think just having all of those range of people to talk to is just incredible for also giving people hope who are still kind of in the beginning of it but also giving people understanding who are in the middle of it and who are, you know, not even, I don't think we ever really get past it, but just not actively in the middle yeah. of trying anymore. Right. Um, and I think for me, it's also kind of evolved as my story has evolved because when I started it, we didn't even know if we were going to have a second child. And so I started it in 2019. And at that point, I had not even done the last cycle with my own body. And I, shortly after I started the account, I had our last miscarriage. And at that point, I wasn't completely open about everything I was sharing because I was still a little nervous and I was just more individually talking to people. But then I found the more I shared, the more support I got and the less alone I felt. And that was just so important to me. And then by the time we were doing our surrogacy journey a year later, I felt like there were just so many people I could talk to, not necessarily specifically about surrogacy, but 
just in general. And even with that, I mean, I've met, I could probably think of 10 women who have specifically gone through or are going through surrogacy who I never would have known if it wasn't for Instagram. And so I think that's something that is so incredible about the community because even though, you know, there's always people that are going to make hurtful comments. There's always people that are going to make comments that they just don't even know what they're saying and they're just not informed. But I think that's the minority. And I think the majority of people that are in the community within the world of fertility on Instagram are very loving and caring and understanding and supportive. And I think that's so unique within social media that people can really, really lift each other up. And so that's why it's just so important to me. And I just love that people can do that for each other. Yeah, it is. It it's incredible to have that as a resource now for somebody who maybe doesn't feel comfortable saying, you know, maybe they do have an anonymous account as well, but they can feel like they are heard and seen in a way that they can't uh, otherwise. And I think that that as an option is really helpful. The only thing I will say to some people is if you are going down a rabbit hole of too much information, you know, you might want to take a break. I call it the social media diet um, because people start to say, oh, well, Susie Q had this diagnosis, maybe that's what I have. And so they start self-diagnosing themselves and doing yes. other things. So I think if you're listening, just be aware of your of yourself when you're doing it, because as amazing it is as this community is, that also could be like, I yeah. know more than I should, and I'm getting into a rabbit hole of thinking something else, right? So that um, is something that I'm very careful with people. Like if they're new to the community or new to just starting their fertility journey, I'm always careful about sharing too much specifically with them. And I know that they can find it other places, but for me, I was a little bit naive when I started IVF and I kind of am glad I was like, there are certain things I wish I knew, but there are certain things I'm glad I didn't know my first round because I would have been way more paranoid and I didn't have to be as paranoid because I didn't even know that was an option. Right. So, you know, it's like, I think that, and you know, that obviously can also lead to being blindsided, but I think sometimes in the moment, it's kind of nice not to have all the information all the time, like you're saying, but I think it's nice for it to be there so that if something comes up or you're worried about something, or you feel like this diagnosis has happened to no one else, there's probably someone you can find that can relate to you. Yes, for sure. And to your point earlier, it gives you hope, you know, oftentimes for people like us that do have our children now on Mm -hmm. the other side, people will say, oh, well, you don't get it because you have your kids. Well, but we do get it because it's, it, for me, I don't know about you. It doesn't feel that long ago that I'm peeing on sticks and doing all the things and going every other day for blood work and whatever. Um, that stays with you, that, that changes the, who you are. And we are showing that as hope, like, look, you can have this too. It's not about like putting our, our children in your face for no reason. It's like, don't give up hope. If you feel that you're, I always say to people when I first work with them, do you have that knowing that you'll be a mom, right? And if that answer is yes, there's so many ways you can get to be that mom that you've always wanted, which is so beautiful. Yeah. So can you share us a little bit about that? How, how was your journey? Did you have a diagnosis that took you down this path or what, what was going on there? Yeah. So I'm kind of the opposite of people who don't have any, I have so many, (laughs) Um, but it started off with just that one. I didn't, I wasn't getting my period when I got off birth control, which 
is insane. I didn't, I did not understand how birth control worked until I went off of it, which I can't believe. Most of us don't, right? It makes me crazy that doctors give it out like candy to everybody. Like, oh, you have acne? Here's the birth control pill. I was on it for 10 years, starting when I was like 17. And I didn't know what it was even really doing to me or didn't know how it worked if I went off it. So I went off of it. I was completely shocked that I didn't get you know, immediately my period, which I don't know. I didn't realize that it doesn't just show up. And then, uh, but after about four months, um, of not getting it, I was starting to get a little concerned. So I talked, tried to talk to my doctor. He was putting me off. I found a new doctor because I'm also never been someone that just waits. Mm -hmm. So I found a new doctor, someone who had actually listened to me. She figured out that I had a thyroid issue. So that was kind of the first one that I was under active thyroid, mm-hmm. hypothyroid. Um, and then from there, she said, oh, just make an appointment with the fertility doctor. They're a couple months out. Hopefully you're pregnant by then, but you can just go. So I wasn't pregnant by then. And so at that doctor's appointment, this is again, where just some things, things align. Um, sometimes things just align because we went into the doctor. He told me that I had to have all these tests done. He said, Oh, I want to do an HSG, which tests your tubes. And, Oh, we have to do it on day three of your period. It was day three of my period. And it was the second time I'd gotten my period in like seven months. So I was like, can you please just do it today? And he actually did, which is shocking for fertility office. But anyway, we found out I had a blocked fallopian tube and the other one he called compromised. So he told us IVF was the only option. So I very quickly went from not knowing what was going on to IVF was our only option. And so that's why we kind of immediately pursued IVF. We were living in Massachusetts at the time and an entire IVF cycle was covered by insurance. So again, that made our decision very easy because if we had been in California, we would have had to think about it and save money. (laughs) So we were able to jump into it. Um, We got very lucky. Our first son was born from that cycle and we did a fresh transfer. It worked after that was kind of when things got harder. Um, We started trying again. We had moved to California. We started trying again with a new doctor when my son was only like nine months old, because I think we all know it can take a while Mm -hmm. and cycles kept getting postponed. So now my lining, my lining was an issue. I had really thin lining. It wouldn't thicken. That did not happen with my first son, but it just wouldn't thicken again. Um, I got diagnosed with PCOS. Um, I don't even remember. I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease, which is more specifically autoimmune for thyroid. And so I had all these other things. Then my lining wouldn't grow. So they kept canceling cycles. Mm. Finally, I was able to do a cycle again about a year after we started with that doctor. Um, and I finally did a transfer, which is another thing people think you can just do transfers all the time. It took me a year to get to one more transfer. Because of the lining or? Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and I did get pregnant, but I quickly lost the baby. They call it like I'm a chemical sorry. pregnancy, which I hate. Um, mm-hmm. I will always call it a miscarriage. Yeah. Um, And so that was honestly, like, I don't think I've ever been lower in my entire life is when that happened, because I could not believe that we had a PGS embryo Mm -hmm. that was tested and it had been a year in the making and it still didn't work. And I just thought, and like, we knew the gender was a girl. And I mean, Mm. it just knowing the gender, no matter what it is, just makes it harder. I thought I wanted to know, and it made it even worse. Um, But so then at that point we changed doctors 
And then I got diagnosed with Asherman syndrome, Oh no! Um, which is scarring in the uterus. And I had to have surgery for that. And he said, oh, I've never seen anyone have this after such an early loss. And I was like, that does not make me feel better. (laughs) But I was like, well, it's still there. So you still got to fix it. Um, So then after that, he said, hopefully we can get your lining to grow, but I can't guarantee anything because with Asherman's lining can be even more of an issue. Um, After that, we did another transfer. It failed. And to me, that felt emotionally the same as our first loss. Um, it wasn't physically the same, but I, I mean, I thought I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get very attached to the idea of being pregnant. You get attached to your embryos. And so I was devastated. So then at that point, that's when he mentioned surrogacy. So at this point, we're a couple years into trying Yeah, and that's when we were pretty blindsided by the surrogacy idea. So then we basically took six months off. I was on a medication that was supposed to help my lining. At that point, we were looking into surrogacy, but I had to try one more time with my body because I just had to know. Um, I just couldn't think about it without doing it. So then, and also for my husband, he really wanted to try one more time with me. Mm-hmm. And so then we did in the fall of 2019. And I stayed pregnant till about eight weeks. And we hadn't yet heard the heartbeat, which was a little bit concerning, but they're like, oh, you know. I don't know. They always have excuses. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there was, uh, they call it a missed miscarriage where there was something there and then there wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, thank you. It was just, I just remember we were staring at the screen, like this cannot actually be happening again. Um, and at that point we decided to go surrogacy route and we knew that you can take a while to match and it would take a while, but we just needed to move on, um, from me from my body. I could not, I could not handle any more loss at that point. And I just didn't trust my body. And I was like, if I get pregnant again, I'm just going to lose the baby again. And I just can't, I can't keep doing this. So then we went surrogacy, um, fast forward, like about six months, she did the first transfer. It failed. And we were like, how are we ever going to have a child if it doesn't even work with a surrogate? And I think just to make that point, I think a lot of people, one with IVF, they yeah. think, okay, I'm going to do IVF and it's going to be a done deal and we're going to have kids, yeah. and whatever. And then second, surrogacy. Well, of course, yeah. if we're doing surrogacy, of course it's going to work. Or even for that matter, egg donation or sperm donation yeah. too, right? They're eliminating the situation that they think is really the problem. And then still, so just to point out, unfortunately, there is no guarantees anyway you do it, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that goes with the support part too. When people are trying to support people through it, I think it's important not to assume it's going to work or to make them feel like it. I mean, it's good to give them positivity, but I think in terms of saying, oh, well, you're definitely going to get pregnant then, or you're definitely going to have as many children. Oh my God. The the amount of times that I've heard, oh, you have this many embryos, you can have a baseball team or you can have a, you know, basketball team. I'm like, but I can't. So, you know, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) People love that. Um, But I'm like, I can't, every embryo does not equal baby. Uh-huh. you know, and I think people have a really hard time understanding that right. but with surrogacy. I definitely thought it was guaranteed. I knew it wasn't. They told us it wasn't at the sure. agency, but you think, but her body was made to carry babies. Like she's had multiple healthy babies herself. She's never had any complications. And so when it failed, we were just so shocked. Um, but then we all decided to go straight for another round. We had kind of already discussed that we wanted to try at least two transfers, with our surrogate, um, the week that she was supposed to start 
her transfer cycle, everything in the world shut down with the pandemic. So they told me, you know, we're actually going to postpone her cycle for, I don't know how long because of this. And I said, I was just sobbing. And I, I said, if I was getting pregnant, would you cancel my cycle? And they said, no. And I said, then you can't cancel hers because you're discriminating against me for not being able to carry the baby. And she's not a new patient. I'm not a new patient. And they actually agreed, I think. Oh, good for you. Um, yeah. Yay for and advocating for yourself. Well, I was like, it is discriminatory. No, you're right. Today. You're right. Yeah. That. And I think when I said that, they were like, ooh, ooh. yeah, we can't, <laughs> can't touch that. So um, luckily she was able to do it. And we had our se- second son um, nine months later in December. Awesome. On my 32nd birthday, he was born. Awesome. Um, and then we thought we were done having kids and we were settling into having two kids. And when he was almost four months old, I found out I was pregnant. Yay! <laughs> and so that was quite shocking. And I think that with that, it was like so happy, so complete miracle, also extremely overwhelming. We, and I think those are the types of emotions that I had the most difficulty processing because I wanted the baby so badly, but I was really overwhelmed at having two kids within a year. And I was overwhelmed at being pregnant when I had a baby. And just, you know, I think that one of the hardest things that I've realized I've been dealing with recently is allowing myself to have the feelings that come with motherhood after infertility. Yeah. And I think that's exactly why I keep talking about it. And when you're talking kind of about a social media break, I was kind of trying to figure out how to talk about what I want to talk about, because I don't want to be disingenuous. I want to talk about me as I am, where I am. I still want to offer support to people that are in the middle of their journeys, but I also think there's something important about offering support to when you're a mom or a dad after you've gone through infertility and pregnancy loss, because there's this weight of feeling like you have to be grateful all the time and you can't ever complain and there's this self self induced guilt of i can't have those feelings that other moms have mm-hmm. because i really wanted this and i think for me that's something that i'm really coming to terms with just accepting the fact that i'm allowed to have normal mom feelings too yeah i mean i literally said that driving the car to my husband this past weekend that i was so frustrated with everything going on with the boys yeah and I was the one that really was really pushing three and yeah. my husband was kind of like, okay, whatever, whatever you want, essentially, not whatever yeah. you want, but he, what he was, would have been fine with one or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so even between the two of us, I feel like I have to watch myself with what I say of oh, like, am I complaining more... or whatever? Cause I feel he's never said it just yeah. for the record, but I feel like he'll be like, well, you want in three and this is how it goes with yeah. that. You know what I mean? But it is so common, even with the newborn stage, with people feeling like they can't be honest about like, it sucks. And reality is it is, it does suck. You know, some people get really blessed with easy angelic babies. Other people, it wasn't for me, it wasn't easy. It was not sleeping. I had trouble feeding, you know, all of those things. But to your point, I love that you're saying this because that doesn't discount the fact that 
I still want my child as much as right. I did when I was peeing on the sticks, hoping that it was going to happen or going to all the doctor's appointments, you know, it just means that you are allowed to have that space and grace for yourself to say, it's a hard period right now, you know? Yeah. And I don't know how moms feel that don't go through what we've gone through, but I know that a lot of parents out there feel comfortable being open now, I think more than ever being open about the struggles and what it is to be an, a mother and that it can be isolating and that it can be overwhelming and that you can go through postpartum issues. And I had postpartum anxiety after my second was born and I didn't give birth to him. I did not know that was possible. Wow. And, and so it's like, but that's where with all of this, every single part of it, I will never stop talking about it because I don't, I feel like I didn't know that some of these things were possible or existed until I went through them. And if I can help even one other person feel less alone with it, then that's why I keep talking about it. Yeah. And thank you for talking about it because there's <laughs> a lot of people that don't have the time to be getting online to say, Hey, is yeah. anyone feeling this way? But maybe they have time to scroll through and be like, Oh, Alex, I feel that way too, you know? And yeah. so it's just that validation and acknowledgement, I think that sometimes helps that yes, mom to definitely. get through the next stage. I mean, I literally just read this morning that suicide rates for postpartum moms is so high and it that is so sad. And millions of babies are born to mommies that are depressed. And I think that's just something that we need to talk more about as a society of like, for for one thing, the hormone thing is a real deal. Mm -hmm. And as you're just saying, even your baby's born of surrogacy or your son born of surrogacy, that brings on emotions too, because yeah. no matter how you slice it, you have a new dynamic in your life that's coming yeah. in and it's all going to be different things thrown at you in different ways. So thank you for talking about it. How can people find you, Alex? So I am um, on Instagram, our beautiful surprise is my handle. And um, is that from your last baby? Yeah, my husband okay. actually came up with it. Um, I used to be, I used to be at a different handle and I felt like I just needed to have a shift um, when I was expecting our third. And I really think it encompasses all of our kids because I don't like to single sure, sure, out. Sure, sure, yes. Um, but I think for when, when I was pregnant with my third, my husband was calling him our beautiful surprise because we very much expected or hoped to have the first two, but we never, ever expected to have the third. Yeah. And so that's kind of where that comes from. That's awesome. So Instagram, our beautiful surprise, go follow this yep. beautiful girl, girl, woman. I don't know which <laughs> I was going to say, um, but thank you for being here. And please let us know if there's any way we can help support this amazing grant that you have coming down the line. Yes, well. all of that information and the website information is also through Instagram. I think that's the easiest way to find all of it. Fantastic. So thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the Creation Innovation Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash 
creation innovation for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.